morning. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, thank you, Pastor Kevin, Scott, and choir leading us in worship. Thankful for the great mercy of God. We'll be continuing in the book of Acts today. We'll be continuing in the book of Acts throughout the month of November. We'll go through the last Sunday of November trying, hopefully, by God's grace, to get to chapter the end of chapter 18, which is the end of that second missionary journey that we are in the midst of now in our passage. So that, and then we'll be looking to uh, December. And I don't know if you guys are ready for Christmas or not. I am not quite ready. I heard a Christmas song this week and it didn't sit right with me. Um, I feel like oftentimes we cut Thanksgiving short and I like to eat. So we'll consider that, but just really thankful as we move. Uh, our Christmas uh, sermon series this year will be Jesus Came and Why He Came. And it'd be from Paul's letters. And I'm real thankful this past week I saw a proof of our, our Advent Guide devotional that our staff and team have written so that you can have uh, throughout the month of December going along with our sermon series devotions and family devotions at home through those. So really excited about that. Also want to note uh, that today... Uh, at the end of our service, we will have our church conference. It's what we have quite regular to do some, some uh, stuff that we need to do here as a church body. So that'll be at the end of our service uh, today as we will be there. So if you're a guest with us, you do not have to stay for that. We'd love to welcome you into the Welcome Center to give a gift to you and just uh, get to know you during that time. Um, you'll have an opportunity to step out if you would like. Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15, basically continues the story where we picked up from last week and right along, Paul and Silas were preaching uh, in, in Thessalonica, and of course, as they preached and proclaimed the word, uh, many became upset, many were attacking them or looking to bring charges against them. They couldn't find Paul and Silas, so they grabbed Jason, who... Paul was staying with and they brought him before the authorities and they made the charge. These are the men who have turned the world upside down proclaiming there's another king, Jesus. And so in light of those charges, Jason has to give a, a bond, if you will, to get out of jail and now what will happen next. And our passage this morning speaks to the very next thing, especially what happens with Paul and Silas. And so starting in verse 10 of Acts 17 and going through verse 15, Luke reports to us. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you, God, that you have, in your word, shown us what's needed for life and salvation. Father, we can build our lives upon your truth, and so today, Father, as we proclaim your word, may that be the case. May we, as your people, be molded and shaped into the image of your Son, 
through your word. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So after being sent off from Thessalonica, Paul and Silas have to sneak out by night, of course. This is nothing new for them. It's happened before. They've had to sneak out or really anytime you read where Paul and Silas are proclaiming or preaching the gospel in these forward cities, it's going to end in a couple of ways. He's either going to be beaten and, and told not to preach again, left for dead. He's going to be imprisoned and, and thrown in prison as if to shut them up, or they're going to have to sneak out by night. And in Thessalonica, the charges came, and for fear that it may happen again that happened in Philippi, Paul and Silas were sent off by night to Berea. Now, Berea is a smaller city, about 45 miles away, about a two-day journey by foot. And as they're sent off to Berea, the very same practice or the same strategy that Paul had before, he will now put in place when he gets to Berea. Like he'd done before, he had gone straight into the synagogues where the Jewish people in that town or city had gathered to study or look to the scriptures. He went to the synagogues because of that. Paul made the synagogues his primary place to enter into a city because it was in those synagogues where the word of God would have been read. There in the synagogues, they would read the, as we call it, the Old Testament, if you will, the prophets and Moses and the writings. They would read from those things. And, and there Paul knew he could, he could take the, the reading of the scriptures and go directly to Jesus Christ. Paul's method of preaching was to take the word of God and point them to Jesus as the foundation and the answer to the promises of God from the word. Now, he didn't get this from himself. This was not something method Paul came up with. This was not some method of preaching or teaching that Paul had, had, had thought up on his own. In fact, this was Jesus' method. If you remember in Luke chapter 24, Jesus was raised from the dead there, and he was raised from the dead on a Sunday, of course, the first day of the week, and there was some great confusion amongst his disciples. There had been reports that, that he had been raised. The women had come back and, and had seen the empty tomb and gave the report. Peter and John went, and they had seen, they'd even heard that the messengers there at the tomb had spoke to them. Even Jesus had been there, had spoken to them. And so the disciples had just had a rough week. I mean, it had been pretty pretty crazy week as they came into Jerusalem and, and as Jesus had big crowds and agitated as he proclaimed he was the light of the world and, and, and the crowds became agitated in every way. On Sunday before, they had been welcomed into the city as they sing Hosanna on Palm Sunday and then it just got worse as they went along until finally on the night uh, that he was betrayed, they had the supper together. Jesus told them it was going away. Then Jesus was arrested, had this mockery of a trial. He was crucified and it seemingly was all over. Really, the crisis, is this, is this true? Is this what, what, what he said really true? I mean, Jesus had told him he would be raised again, but, but man, just looking and thinking about it, is it true? So here in the disciples' life on this first day, they're hearing these reports, they're wondering what's going on, and two of the disciples are walking to Emmaus. And there a third, a man comes alongside them that they didn't recognize at first. And, and this man sees that they're kind of upset and questioning their faith. And he says, this, what happened, is exactly what the scripture said. In fact, it tells us in Luke 24, verse 27, that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus went through the Old Testament and showed everything that's happened is what God said would happen. 
this Messiah that the, promise, the Old Testament promised is, is me and I've come. And there at the end of it, they recognize Jesus and he disappears from them. They run back to Jerusalem. The disciples get into the upper room there again. They lock the door. They discuss. They take notes. They're questioning all of these things. Could it be true? And in that moment, Jesus appears to them as well. Jesus appears to them and he said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And there in chapter 24, verse 45 of Luke's gospel, it says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. In that moment, the resurrected Jesus appearing before his disciples tells them or commissions them to go and proclaim a message. And what is that message? That the Christ came, suffered, died, and rose again. And now repentance and forgiveness can be found in him only. And use all of scripture to show them that. In other words, not only did he commission them to go, but he, he gave them the message to tell. And it would be the word of God that would be the foundation of all of this. So Paul enters the synagogue that day, not with some newfangled idea of how to preach, but what he learned and what they had learned from Jesus himself, simply to take the word of God and point people to the Messiah who has come, Jesus Christ. In fact, last week we looked at chapter 17, verses 2 and 3. And we saw these four words that were used of what Paul did as he spoke to them in the synagogue. It said he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. These four words, he reasoned, giving arguments from Scripture. He explained, opening up the words so they can understand it. He proved, dealing with any objections or questions that may come along. And he proclaimed that this Jesus of history is the Messiah of the Lord God Almighty. He is Savior and Lord. And what I'm saying today is what Paul did there in the synagogue by reasoning, explaining, proving, and proclaiming is what preaching really is. Preaching really is some combination of these four, if not all four. Now, I know that's difficult because we use words so differently nowadays. I mean, to preach means some kind of lecture, right? Don't lecture me. Don't preach at me. We've said, we, we use it that way. Uh, uh, and we use it in that method. I won't tell you how I get preached at. But we, we say, don't preach at me if you're going to lecture me. Or sometimes to preach is some tirade that we go off on that has nothing to do with Jesus, most likely just some personal preference that we may have. And, and we say, don't, don't preach or, or don't preach at us in this way. And so oftentimes we get mixed up on what preaching means. And really that, that comes from the pulpit itself. For sometimes those who step into the pulpit even don't help us in understanding what a sermon is or what preaching really is. They come with some sort of self-help quite often or some motivational speech. Or on the other side, they come with just some running commentary of the scripture and don't ever get to what the scriptures are telling us to do and what they're calling us to do. They just tell us these things. And so, so we don't know often what it is. We don't get a reasoned, explained, proven proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord. And quite really, even sitting here or considering preaching, all of us have different expectations from preaching. 
Most of our expectations are formed from how we were raised or who was our pastor when we were young. We've been told before, you yell too much or you don't yell enough. You preach too long or you don't preach long enough. Nobody's ever said that. We've said these things before, and quite often our preferences come from how we were raised. I remember in a previous church, I had one day, there was one day when I got to church and there was a letter, just Pastor Josh waiting on me there at my office. A four-page type letter not signed. Huh? How about that? Of course, I didn't read it all. But when I got through it, the letter had a complaint to me that I was being too evangelistic in my preaching. I was like, man, I don't know what else to do. You get up there and beg people to come to Jesus. I'm being too evangelistic in my preaching. That's crazy. I wrote that off. She's crazy. Could have been a he. (laughs) That same day, I had a sweet lady come to me, and she told me that she was going to stop giving to our church. She was going to start giving to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, which I told her they got plenty of money. And I said, well, why are you going to give to the Billy Graham evangelist? She said, well, I just find that you're preaching. I kid you not, same day. Your preaching is not evangelistic enough. <laughs> same day. I got a statement. I was too evangelistic. I got a statement. I'm not evangelistic enough. In some ways, we are often formed by how we were raised and what we were used to and what the expectations are, and they put that there on the preaching of the word. But in reality, what we do when we come to the pulpit is we reason, explain, prove, and proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Christ. Paul even preached one time in Acts chapter 20. We'll get to that later. Paul even preached one time past midnight. In fact, it said that Paul had many words. (laughs) And there, as he preaches past midnight, there was this young man who falls asleep. He falls asleep named Eutychus. He's sitting on the windowsill. Paul gets past midnight. Eutychus falls asleep. He falls out the window, and he dies. Paul hears about it. He goes downstairs and brings in the power in the name of Jesus, Eutychus, back to life. Preaching professor always said, that's a good reason for y'all not to be boring when you preach. Because none of you are Paul. And if you bore them to death, they're just dead. We think a lot about preaching. But at the end of the day, I think what Acts chapter 17 is telling us is this. What we do when we stand into the pulpit is we take the word of God We reason from the Word of God. We explain the Word of God. We prove the Word of God. And we proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, and the Lord. That's what preaching is. Taking the Word of God and proclaiming Jesus is Savior and Lord. What I like about our passage this morning is it's not necessarily talking about what preaching is. We saw that last week. This morning is talking about what do we do to listen How is it that we are to listen to a sermon? How is it that we are to listen to a sermon? And that speaks to each and every one of us, including myself. How is it that we are to hear the word of God proclaimed? How is it that we are to listen? And with the Bereans, we find a great example of what it means or how it is to listen to the word of God rightly. Here, I want to just mention three little points that you find mostly in verse 11. First of all, as the Bereans heard the word of God, they received the word of God. 
We must receive the word of God. Now, we know the word they received. We have seen Paul's preaching. We have heard Paul explain it before. We'll see it again in chapter 17 when he gets to Athens. We'll see it over and over again. Paul is proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. He is the Messiah. Paul is making it down to this one point. You can take all of the Old Testament. All of that Old Testament is pointing us that there's a coming Messiah. Paul's whole preaching is that the Messiah has come. Jesus Christ has come, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose again, and now he reigns at, on the throne. And anyone who believes in him, confesses their sins, trusts in him by faith, will have everlasting life. That's Paul's main point. That's preaching in and of itself. He's preaching to prove that Jesus is the Christ. Paul would put it a different way to the Corinthians. He'd say, I know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The message of preaching, the message of the word is Jesus Christ. You lift him high, all men will be drawn unto him. So how is it do we receive the word? We receive the word by listening intently. Listening intently. We give our attention to the word now. We give our attention to so many things in life. We give our attention over and over again to this and to that. And if you just add up the things during the week that get your attention, that are outside of what matters eternally, that are outside of what's most important in life, then the moment we gather into church and we hear the word proclaimed, we should, by all means of reason, listen intently because this is the words of life. Everything hangs on this. What we offer from this pulpit is not just simply nonsense to get you through the day or some, some pill to, to help you survive the week. What we offer in this pulpit are the words of life and death when we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so, my goodness, why would we not give time to listen intently to what the Word says? When Paul preaches and reasons from the Word and proves from the Word and proclaims the Word, the Bereans listened intently as they received the word. They listened intently, but not only that, they long to know the truth. Isn't that what we're all searching for? We're all looking for the truth. I mean, this world is chaotic. Everybody's saying this, everybody's saying that. There are opposition views being offered here, there, and everywhere. People are saying you have your truth, and you have your truth, and this truth, and that truth. But what we know from the scripture is that there is one truth, one reality where Jesus Christ rules and reigns, where we can find everlasting life. They long for the truth. And if Paul's coming in to offer them this, they're going to find out, is this true or not? If this is the words of life, they're going to listen intently to know if this is the truth. Because if this is the truth, then you can build your life upon what's proclaimed from the word. This is true. You can build your life upon it. They receive the word by listening intently, longing for the truth, and loving the word of God. Let me just say it like this. Both the preacher and the listener must have a strong belief in the authority and significance of the scriptures themselves. When we come to it, we, we must recognize that this is life. This is the truth, right? This is not me just getting up and preaching from, from Homer's Iliad or something and, and the Odyssey or, or from the phone book. You all know what a phone book is. It's not just me getting up and preaching from a phone book or anything else that carries no weight, no authority. This is the word of God that has been given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so as I stand here, what we proclaim is God's word himself. To hear the word is to hear the Lord. And so we listen to what God has said to us through the word. 
quite honestly, most preaching, the problem with most preaching is it has too low a view of Scripture, too low a view of God's Word. And if you have too low a view of God's Word, you don't understand the importance of Acts 17, 10 through 15, or John 3, 16, or any other passage that you can turn to. They received the Word with eagerness, which means that they listened intently, they longed to know the truth, and they loved the Word of God. They loved the Word. It was their authority in their life. So they received the Word. So it is when we listen. We receive the word. We listen intently because this is the word of life. But not only that, not only they listen intently, they examine the scriptures. They receive the scriptures. They receive the word. They examine the scriptures. If you were going for alliteration, which obviously I'm not, they researched the scriptures. They searched for themselves. The Bereans did not simply take Paul's word for it. They looked inside the text themselves and they, they went to the text to prove to whether or not this is true. Is this possible? Could this Jesus who lived in, uh, born in Bethlehem and, and lived there in Judea and, and up in Galilee his whole life, could this Jesus truly be the Son of God? Could he possibly be the Messiah? And Paul gives all of his reasons why he is just what he did, exactly what he said. All the promises are true. And so they go back to the text themselves and they study and they find out, is that what it says? I want to know. I want to search it. I want to know. Here, the Bereans examined the scriptures and it says they did it daily. In those days, they didn't have the word of God in their hand. The scrolls would have been kept there at the synagogue. And so every day they came back to search those scrolls and to see, is it possible that Jesus is the Christ? Because if it's true, then this means everything. We will examine ourselves. We'll search ourselves. We'll prove it to be true. I want you to understand one of our understandings of Scripture, what we believe about the words, we believe, among other things, in the perspicuity of Scripture. Now, granted, you probably haven't used that word today or this week. We know, and I don't know if I can even spell it for you, but perspicuity of Scripture simply means this. The Scriptures are clear. In fact, it speaks to the lucidity of the word, the, the clarity of the word. In other words, anybody that looks at the word can understand the word. From whatever age you are, you can understand the truth of what's taught here in God's word. That doesn't mean they're not some tough passages and some difficulties. In fact, Peter even writes and says he, he has some struggles with Paul's writings, right? But, but it does mean that, that what this word is teaching from beginning to end, its basic subject, its basic teaching, its basic doctrine could be understood by anybody who applies themselves in any way to study it and to know it. That's why we, we welcome those in who are young, who are young, who have professed faith in the gospel. Why? Because the word is understood from, from the young to the old. The word is clear. And since it's clear, therefore, we can ask questions of the word. We read the word. We can consult trusted leaders of the word. In fact, this was a major issue within the first or the Protestant Reformation. One of, uh, most of the early years and centuries, the, the Bible was only in Latin, where most people didn't speak Latin. And so in order to understand the scriptures, you had to go to the priest, and he had to tell you what was written in there. He had to then explain it. So he was in control. One of the, one of the major tenets of the Reformation was that we need the Bible in our own language. 
We need the Bible in what's called the vulgar language or the common language. We need to have people to have the Bible in front of them so they can read it for themselves, so they can know it for themselves. Because I'm not fearful or scared that the Word of God is given out so more people would know it, read it, and understand it. Because it never comes back null or void. What I mean by that is this. You don't have to take any man's word for it. You can go to the scriptures yourself. The word of God is to be read, is to be marked up, is to be underlined, is to be studied, is to be researched, is to be looked at. It's like I said last week, nobody sets a lion loose on a beach full of people and says, y'all, don't hurt the lion. So it is with scripture. I'm not fearful for you to look at it. In fact, I encourage you to look at it. Go to the word, prove what I say is true, prove what I say is right, prove what's proclaimed, what's taught in every way. Look to the word, examine them for yourselves. That's what we need is more word. Paul wants to be clear, it's not about the pastor at all. It's not about that leader up front. He says, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Receive the word as the truth, as the word of God, and then examine the word daily. Notice what he says. He says daily. In other words, it's not some passing fad. It's not meant for you just to to come one day a week and hear the preaching. The word of God is to be engaged, read daily. Recently, I was turned on to some research, really by our IMB personnel that were here a few weeks ago from the Center for Bible Engagement. Center for Bible Engagement went through and did research of 400,000 believers from around the globe, 24 different countries from ages 8 to 80. And they did their study and research about those who read the Bible and those who don't who are believers. What does it mean? And they came up or saw this pattern that they called the power of four. The power of four means this, is that someone who engages the Bible four or more times a week, four or more days a week. Y'all get, how many days are in a week? All you need's four, he said. Four or more days a week, just over half of the week, if you will engage with the scriptures four or more times a week, listen to these statistics. Those who engage with the Bible four or more times a week, this first one should be uh, common sense, more likely to memorize God's word, hide the word in their hearts so they may not sin against him. Those who engage it four times a week, 400% more likely to memorize it. Listen to this. Those who engage in the Bible four times a week are 59% less likely to fall into sexual temptation like looking at pornography. Almost 60% less likely to fall into sexual temptation like pornography. When you read the Bible four times a week. Listen to this, the, the, the world, the, the most common refrain of anybody around the world, not just our own culture, but all cultures, is the feeling of loneliness. Those who engage the Bible four times a week, 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. To struggle with loneliness. We just came out of our month of impact. Think about this. Think about sharing the gospel. Think about reaching our neighbors. Those who engage with the Bible four times a week are 228% more likely to share their faith. To share their faith. Just four times a week, just engaging it four times a week, we're more likely, 
exponentially to hide it in our heart, to sin less and to pursue after God more faithfully, to not feel lonely, but to know he is with us always, comforting us, and we are never alone. And we're more likely to share the good news of Christ with our neighbors and our family when we just engage the scriptures four days a week. The Bereans gave us the template. They examined the scriptures daily. How much more so for those of us who would take God's word, the gift that he's given, and engage with it daily. The sermon is not the only thing that should be, it's God's word should be used for us every day. If you are struggling with this or struggling with that, if temptation is there, if heartache is there, if suffering is there, you need comfort, you need peace, you need, when you come to me for counseling or anyone here on our staff or our team, the first question we're going to ask you is, are you reading your word? Are you reading the scriptures? Of course, that's not the end all be all, but what we know, what we know is it's in the word that God comforts his people. It's through the word that he gives his word to us. He guides us, he strengthens us. It's in his word that we find hope that we're longing for. It's in his word that we know we are never alone. We look to his word, we receive it, we examine it, we look to it. And you can go through the word over and over again. And what I promise you, when you go to the word with an open heart and open scriptures, God will show you the truth of the gospel. The gospel. Finally, you receive it, research it, and you see what we see throughout all of Acts. You must respond to the word. We've said over and over again that the gospel demands a response. It tells us in verse 12, as, as they examine, receive the word, and examine the scriptures daily. Many of them, therefore, believed, not just the Jews, but some Greeks, some ladies of high standing, as well as men. Many believed the gospel, having examined, received, and examined the word. We see that. Faithful preaching, faithful preaching of the gospel will always call for a response. Always. The word of God demands a response. So to preach without it calling for a response would be, would be silly. It's just simply saying, what is the scriptures calling us to do? Faithful preaching of the gospel will always call for a response. But listen, good listening to the gospel will always respond. Will always respond. Oftentimes we equate a response in our culture or our traditions by, by walking the aisle at the end of the service, but that's not just what I'm talking about. Surely we can. Surely you can walk. Surely we can pray for you. Surely we can walk you through the gospel. Surely we can help you. We can walk with you in anything. We'd love for you to come, but at the same time, every one of you who sits here today will have to respond to the gospel proclaimed, the word of God preached. Will you say, help me, Lord, be a, a better follower, a better believer, more faithful? Will you say, Lord, help me read your word more? Will that be the commitment? I pray that's the commitment even today that, that the Lord will cause us to be better listeners of the gospel, better hearers of the word, that we will read it more and engage with it more because we see what it does for us when we do. Maybe that's the commitment you need to make today. And those who look to the word, they look to the word first as their authority Look to the word as their guide. Look to the word as their strength. Look to the word as, as what they need to make it through every day. Those who look to the word, he says, those are more noble. More noble. And isn't it true? We want success in this life. Joshua 1.9. Success is found when you do not move to the right or to the left, but follow my word every day, the Lord says Joshua. Success is in obedience to the word. 
We want, we want protection against sin or, or other things. Well, hide the word in my heart so you may not sin against me. We're looking for what sustains us, what satisfies us. And, and the scripture says, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. For we know we will eat today at lunch and we'll be hungry again this evening. But when you feast upon the word of God, forever you will be satisfied. We want guidance in our life. The word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It guides us where we should go and what we should do. We're longing for truth. God's word is truth. We're looking for, for a rock in the midst of chaos. God's word is the rock of truth for us. So why would we turn anywhere else if we're looking for success or protection or sustenance or guidance or truth? All of these things we're longing for, why would we turn anywhere else? For the word of God is good. And Paul says to those who turn to the word, those are the noble ones. Those are the noble ones. To be noble means to have fine personal qualities or ideals. Surely it means that. But it also means to be high-born. Royalty, if you will. So here he's comparing. The mob of this world will always seek to attack those who proclaim the word of God. But the noble ones are those who will hear it, receive it, examine it, and follow after the Lord, respond to it, trusting in him by grace. Those are the children of the king. Those are the noble ones. Paul says, be like the Bereans here. Receive the word. Research the word. Respond to the word. Be noble in life as you seek for success and protection and sustenance and guidance and truth. Be like them. May it be so of all of us. As we ask the question today, how do you receive the word? What's your response to the word? As the Lord lays it on your heart, I pray that we will be faithful to respond just as God calls us to. To listen and to hear his word and to follow after him. Many of you may need to receive the word today for the first time. You've heard it proclaimed, but you've never trusted in Christ. And like my brother and sister up here that gave a great display, a great picture of what it means to follow Christ in obedience through baptism, maybe you need to do the same thing today. As you've heard the word proclaimed and you've examined it yourself and you've found it's true, not only in your life, but in the lives of those you love, those around you, receive the word today, the gospel. Many of you just simply... I ask you, I beg you, do not forsake so great a gift that we have in our hands when we have the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It is good. You are faithful. And so, God, I pray today, I pray today that your, by your spirit, your word would move into each and every heart and you would draw each and every one of us closer, closer to you. Mold us and shape us by your word. Give us a heart for your word, a love for your word, God, so that we engage with your word daily, just like the Bereans, and we find the strength we need. We find the guidance we long for. We find the hope that, that only you can give. And Father, we find, we find the sustenance that gets us through every day, your word. Thank you, God. Even now as we sing this at this time, 
move in each and every heart to respond faithfully to your word. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together.